message. And so I had to change tack um, a little bit. And rather than just sort of make my remarks about the text as we go through, um, uh, I guess on the fly, I mean, you know, it's not really on the fly. I've already kind of prepped it. But um, I, I've reined myself in. So I've put my remarks on the slide because it's a very long passage. And there's, um, there's a lot of important information here. Uh, but I've decided to pare it down a little bit so that we could get through this dispute um, in one go. Uh, So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into uh, today's lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for the strong warnings that we get in Scripture and for uh, the the specificity with which you speak. Lord, I, I pray that we would be listening to you today, that Um, If there is an attitude, if there's an action in our lives that needs to be pointed out, uh, we pray that you would have mercy on us and show us our faults. Because we cannot discern our own errors. We need you to point them out. Uh, And you do that in a number of ways uh, through through the church and by your Holy Spirit and through the Word. Uh, And so I just pray that you would reveal... Um, our errors to us, reveal the underlying attitudes um, or the attitudes that underlie our disobedience. Father, help us to be uh, more in conformity with Christ uh, through the study of your word today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just going to remind you of this to show us where we are. We're in the second dispute. Uh, This is the Lord speaking. Uh, and I highlighted these three of the four, um, although in sort of a circuitous way it does point to a future pro- promise, but it doesn't mention the Messiah here in this passage. Um, but he does remind us and he, he reveals us of who the Lord is. Uh, he warns Israel regarding their guilt, specifically the priests here. Uh, and also he's explaining the heart of and the root of unfaithfulness and encouraging repentance. Now, specifically... Specifically in this section, uh, 1-6 through 2-9, he's going he's to help us to see these two big points. And I, I don't want to miss this. Number one, the priest's job was to be a mediator. His job within the covenant system that God established was to be a mediator for the people of Israel. Through the sacrificial system... He mediated the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. Uh, And, and, you know, there's a reason I think that Leviticus is the center of the Torah, because it's the center of their relationship. And and Leviticus defines the Levites' responsibilities and honor and obligations and all the details of the Levitical ministry, the priestly ministry. And so this, this, um, this warning here, that we read in, in, in these you know, two half chapters, it, it goes to the very heart of the people's relationship with God. That's why the priestly ministry was so critical and why this was such a serious accusation. And I don't want to get lost in the weeds of exactly the particulars and miss this point. Because predominantly the second half of chapter 1 talks about how the priest's carelessness and attitude toward God and their carelessness and obedience unqualified them for this ministry. 
and put all of Israel in jeopardy in their relationship with God. And in the second part, really verse, say, 3 or so through, through um, verse 9 of chapter 2, he underlies the other, uh, the other aspect of the priestly duty that they were being uh, derelict in, that they were being negligent in, and that was the teaching of the law. So both of these things are hugely critical. So this, today's message is really for the Old Testament believer was, you're not right with God because your priests are not treating me as they should. And that's spreading out through all the people. That's really the, the, the main point to the old uh, covenant audience. The contemptuous attitude of the priest toward the Lord and the privilege of serving at his altar and his, in his temple made them unfit to serve as effective intercessors for the people to God. Uh, and you know, we've seen this several times in the Old Testament. Um, we see this with the older two sons of Aaron and how their disobedience and their negligence and carelessness toward uh, what God had told them to do, and God killed them right then and there. They did not serve as priests after that day. He killed them because they were unfit to serve. This is a huge, important ministry. Later on, we see that Eli's two sons were worthless, and they were not suitable to be priests before the Lord. We see the same thing happen with Samuel's uh, two sons. His sons were worthless fellows. They were not suitable to minister as priests before the Lord. God takes the priestly ministry very, very seriously. And where we are in history with the reading of Malachi, with the, the coming of the prophet Malachi, is the people have already been kicked out of the land. Seventy years they were in captivity, and now they've been brought back. And now maybe 75 years or 100 years or so after that, and they're already falling away, and the priests are already turning their noses up at the sacrifices. They are repeating this pattern over and over and over again. And the Lord is telling us the old covenant isn't going to cut it. There must be a new covenant. So as we read, I'm going to have a few remarks. I have them on the screen so, so that we're not going to miss them and we can work through the text uh, quickly enough. Um, so please follow along with me in your Bible. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. Contempt is a hatred that looks down on. It's really similar to the word despise. To think little of. A hatred that's based on little esteem of something. That is the attitude that he says the priests have toward him. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Remember, these are, these are not legitimate, sincere questions. They're a question that's designed to show that they don't agree at all with the statement that's been made. He says, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you offer lame or diseased animals, is that not, is that not wrong? The word here for wrong is almost too light a word. The word he uses is the word evil. I think that's how ESV puts it, or wicked. 
it's a little bit more than just wrong. You haven't just made a mistake. You've done something evil against the Lord. And if you want to look back at the law, you can find, at least in one place, I think this is listed in Deuteronomy as well, but in, in Leviticus chapter 22, 17 onward, you will see that this is specifically prohibited. It is useless as a sin offering, and it's useless as a fulfillment of a vow. They actually could offer less than perfect animals as free will offerings, as thank offerings. But they could not offer them for sin. They could not offer them for the temple sacrifices, which were mandatory. And they couldn't offer them in fulfillment of a vow. And yet the priests were doing it. The contemptuous attitude of the priests toward the Lord led them to disobey him in regard to the sacrifices. Moving on. He says, and I think he gives a very, very um, clear human example of how this was bad, of how this was ineffective. He says, try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? This word for governor is the same word that was described uh, Zerubbabel and his ministry and uh, Nehemiah as well. That's what their job was. Their job was governor over the province. Um, you'll remember from Nehemiah, he says, I, I didn't take those offerings. I didn't take that portion that was due me. But here he says, try offering them to an earthly governor and see if that's going to get you any, any kind of audience with him, if that's going to garner any favor with him. In verse 9, now plead with God to be gracious to us. Sort of between the lines here, based on your obviously disobedient uh, uh, sacrifices. Plead on the basis of that sacrifice that God would be gracious to you and see if he'll be gracious to you. Will he accept it from you, says the Lord Almighty? The contemptuous disobedience of the priests meant that the Lord was not listening to their requests for his favor. Remember that they're pleading with the Lord their position is to plead with the Lord on behalf of Israel. Forgiveness of sins. Favor. Help, from their en help against their enemies. And their sacrifices are no good because their attitude is no good. He goes on, he says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations. Says the Lord Almighty. There's a couple of problems here, right? The Lord says, my name is great and it should be treated as great. In every place. You know, this language is repeated when it talks about, any time the Old Testament talks about um, uh, how God really designed the nation of Israel to make his name great among the nations in all places. God always had a worldwide focus to the spread of the knowledge of his name and the necessity of people to worship him appropriately everywhere. He always had a worldwide vision for his worship and his proper worship and praise among all peoples. Here the problem is, is Israel's not even doing it in Israel. 
and the priests who are supposed to lead him in this way are leading him instead in the opposite direction. Two things that are really critical for us to see here. The Lord says he is not pleased with the priests and will not accept their offerings. So what kind of state is the nation of Israel in if God won't listen to the intercessors that he established in the system that he set up? But the same situation that the people found themselves in during Eli's administration with his two worthless sons. God was not for them. And until they returned to the Lord, and until they had someone who was in a correct position of uh, mediator for them, with Samuel in that case, they were being steamrolled by their enemies. Second part of that is, the Lord is a great king. God is worthy of all the praise and all the glory and all the honor from every single one of us. He's great, and we must treat him as so. But rather than making his name great in all the earth, they were profaning it in the heart of his people, and they were profaning it within his own temple. He says, but you profane it by saying the Lord's temple is defiled. Now, this is the second time he says you priests say this. What is he implying? Just that you think it? Or that you convey this to Israel? And that's my argument, that they're, instead of teaching correctly, they're teaching the contempt for the name of the Lord. He says, you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is, corrupt, uh, is contemptible, meaning you can, you can have this kind of attitude of contempt for his altar. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously. This burden is the same word in Hebrew that they use for trials and hardships that the people went through. So you can look back at the history and how they've gone through hardships here and hardships there. I think the Psalms quote it too, but, it, but at least it's found it in several places in Numbers. He says, you look at my altar and your privileges as my priests that I established for, the, for, for making my people holy in my sight, and you call my sacrifices and my altar a hardship instead of an honor. And then he says, when you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? And again, this question is a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. And he says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. The Lord is a great king, but the priests viewed his service as a burden rather than a great honor. And it corrupted their service before the Lord and it corrupted the people. Now in chapter 2, I already said it, he's going to deal more with the teaching aspect, but this is really the heart of the issue right here in these first, uh, in these first two verses. Now you priests, this warning is for you. 
if you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Now the phrase is more like you haven't taken it to heart. I think the ESV renders it that way. You have not taken my word to heart. One of the guys I listened to teach on this particular book, uh, an overview of this book, he says, he, he rendered it this way, he says, you don't take me seriously. I want to pause for a second. Every person in this room who is an adult understands what it's like when somebody doesn't take you seriously. Wives, when you communicate to your husband something that's really important to you, and he skates right over it, as if he hasn't heard a word you've said and doesn't care what you think anyway, they are not taking you seriously. And it hurts. Men, when you speak to your children and they don't listen, they don't respect you, when you speak to a person at work who's supposed to be your subordinate and they don't take you seriously or they talk to you in a way that suggests they think you're on the same level, a teacher with a student, uh, a mentor with a, a person who's supposed to be learning from them. I think men, we understand this probably more than any, anybody in particular because a lack of respect for who we are, the experience we have, the knowledge we have, the position that we're in, that will take us from zero to 70 in a heartbeat, won't it? How much more the living God who gives you life and breath, how much more should we take his word to heart and listen. How much greater the insult when you don't. This is the heart of Israel's problem. It's the heart of the problem of the priests. It's a heart of the world that's rebellious against God. They don't take his word seriously. Every time you share the gospel with someone and they laugh it off or they say, well, Okay, you said this, I agree with this, but here's where I disagree. They're disagreeing with you, but they're showing their contemptuous attitude for the word of the living God. And the seriousness of this situation for Israel is this is the priests. These are the guys tasks with, tasked with managing the relationship between God and his people. priests were not taking the word of the Lord to heart. So rather than bringing blessings from the Lord, they're bringing about curses. You know, there's some, some question as to whether when he says, um, I will curse your blessings, does he mean the blessings that the priests have specifically re re received from God, like being able to partake in his table and given this, this great place of honor? 
or when you think in the terms of cursing their blessings, when they bless the people, right? The, the, the high priestly blessing that was given to the people to bless the people in the name of the Lord, is he saying those, those are cursed? It may be both. But rather than bringing blessing, you're bringing curses. He says, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent this warning that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. I underlined and made the word covenant in bold here because that's the greatest issue here, right? If, if, the Levite, if the Levitical priests are not doing their job as they ought to, then there's no intercession being made for the people. The covenant remains broken through their sin, and the covenant can't be, the, the, there, there can't be reconciliation for the people if the sacrificial system is the corrupted aspect. It reminded me of Hebrews where he talked about renouncing, in chapter 6, where he talked about renouncing Christ or treating the blood of Christ as unholy. The very thing that makes you holy, you show contempt for. That's the heart of the issue here. You nullify the covenant by spurning the sacrifices. Here, look at what he says. You know, this great honor it is to be a priest. And again, Hebrews talks about that great honor that there was. He says, nobody brings this honor on themselves, but it's the Lord who appoints the high priest. They're in this great position of honor as a priest, but because of their disobedience and because of their contemptuous attitude toward the Lord, he says, I'm going to smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. This doesn't have to be taken literally. The understanding here is that, that the dung is the filthy part, the gross part that has to be taken outside of the camp with the opal, with the innards, and burned. It's unclean. And he says, I'm going to put that on your faces. I'm going to shame you before everyone. And that's how he's going to close out verse 9. You'll see it in a second. But the priests violated the Old Covenant. But notice this, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to talk about it here again in a minute, that the Lord wanted His covenant to continue, and He was giving this warning so that it would continue. And I think we don't want to miss God's mercy in this. I think I, I, think I would be failing you if I didn't remind you of God's mercy in this. He says, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Here in verse 5 and 6, he says, this is what the priest was to do. This was why I put the Levites in their position. So that they would walk this way with me for my people. And it started with a reverence for his name. It started with a reverence for him and standing in awe of who the Lord is. The opposite of the way the priests, the attitude of the priests in, in this passage that he's writing to. And then verse 6, true instruction in his mouth. He's teaching the law correctly 
so that the people can have a right relationship with God and grow in their relationship with God. He says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. Under the old covenant, the priests were supposed to instruct the people in the law, but instead they were leading the people in disobedience to the law. So he says, I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have showed partiality in matters of the law. So, I'm going to make this a little bit concise. The Lord says to the priests, you show contempt for my name. And the priests say, no, we don't. I mean, that's the heart of this statement here. What do you mean? When you lay out a charge, when you lay out a charge to somebody who is below you in authority in some way, shape, or form, their, their place is not to argue with you, but to accept your word. Right? In a home structure, in a work structure, in a political environment, that's the job. How much more with the Lord of heaven and earth. Because the same word that he offers here in warning is the same word that brought the world into existence and sustains us. There is no questioning the word of the Lord. Our job is to listen. Humanity's job is to listen to the proclamation of God and agree and act accordingly. That's why it just never ceases to amaze me that Peter and the other disciples had such an, a good understanding of who Jesus was until it actually came, about, uh, came to listening when they didn't want to believe what he said. When, when, when Jesus says to the disciples, you know, one of you is going to betray me. Or you're all going to fall away from me. Or when he says to Peter specifically, you're going to deny me three times. He says, no, I'll die instead. It amazes me that they can have such an attitude toward the word of the living God. What he says is going to happen. The priests had no concern for the Lord, for his written word, or for the warnings of the prophet. That's the heart of their objection. Here, Again, I'm going to remind you of verse 2 of chapter 2. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, if you don't take my word to heart, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. The Lord charges the priests with specific acts of disobedience regarding their sacrificial duties, their obligation to honor him, and their responsibility to teach and to uphold the law. And he shows how that violates the terms of his covenant with his people. Well, what do they do, right? If the covenant's broken, what do they do? 
And this fits so well, and just in my mind, with the, the whole understanding of the book of Hebrews. That new covenant that God promised through Jeremiah and through others comes to us through Jesus Christ. Because there is no way that the old covenant was sufficient to produce righteous people. The old covenant allowed people to interact with God on a temporary basis, but all of that was on the basis of what Jesus Christ would do. Here to the people in this time, he says, it's almost like if, if, if you stopped here at verse 9 and you're an Old Testament audience, you're, you're one of the people hearing uh, maybe Malachi preach this from the temple steps or call out in the city square in Jerusalem. And if people heard him correctly, the response would be the same to Peter's on the day of Pentecost. What do we do? Tell us what to do. Our priests can't make intercession for us. You're not accepting our offerings. We've sinned and we've got no way to be rightly related to you. What do we do? I just want to let that sink in and settle for a second. Now today we might ask, well, how does this apply to us? Because we have the new covenant, right? We're not these people. We aren't dependent on earthly priests. We have a perfect high priest, and yeah, that's true. But the old covenant regularly revealed the inability of human beings to be righteous in God's sight. Regularly. All the time, over and over and over again. But somehow, in this country and around the world, there are millions of nominal Christians who don't think that they're unrighteous. They think that being born into a Christian household or belonging to a church makes them righteous in God's sight. Being a part, being born into a covenant family never made anybody holy in God's sight. For the Jew, it meant they had the real word of God and they had every advantage and every opportunity to come to know the real God, but it didn't make them automatically right with God. And for the Christian, it doesn't make you automatically right with God. I can't tell you how many times in the South I would share the gospel with people at work and they're like, yeah, my, my aunt's a Christian. My, my mom goes to church. <laughs> what are you talking about? How does that do anything for you? We are not righteous in God's sight by anything that we can do. And no list that we have that we think we can check the boxes on makes us righteous in God's sight. The heart of disobedience, any act of disobedience, is a contemptuous attitude toward the Lord and His Word. It is a failure to take God seriously. Now, I get it. There are acts of disobedience that come on us, that there, there are things that we don't, we don't think through and work through and then do. Oftentimes they catch us by surprise. I get that. But do you get that our disobedience shows contempt for the holy God who created us? 
That's the heart of that sin nature that's still struggling inside of you, Christian. Is a contempt for God and his word. And a lack of desire to take him seriously. A desire to assert our individual authority over God's revealed word. Thirdly, this reminded me of, of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, specifically. Because he says to the priests, I gave you a function, I gave you a role within my covenant community. And you're not doing it. So I'm going to cast you off. I'm going to cast you out. I'm going to smear the offal of the sacrifices on your face and I'm going to, I'm going to cast you away. I'm going to have you carted off like the bodies of the sin offering that have to be burned outside the camp. So that reminded me of Matthew 5.13. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You're being made holy for a function. Why aren't you functioning as you have been called to function? He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Again, I, I don't want to leave you without the understanding of mercy here. Because this is, I think, one of the first, well, not the first, but one of the first clues. A little bit hidden in all this warning and rebuke. And all these understanding of cursings to come. But he says in verse 4 of chapter 2, You will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue. I believe what he's talking about here is a reference to the later people who would, their names would be written because they would hear this and they would take him to heart. They would repent of their wrong attitude. And I believe there would have been priests in there because he says, I, in order that my covenant with Levi would continue, it was not time for the new covenant just yet. I believe that in the 400 years or so from here until Christ dies on the cross, I believe there were still men and women who loved God and responded appropriately to His Word. And their relationships would still have been right if there were priests to serve in, in that capacity correctly. And I believe that God kept His priesthood going for their sake. And I believe that's what He's saying here when He says, when he says in verse 4, you will know that it's me, that I'm the one who's given this to you, that's given you this warning, so that my covenant will continue. It was not time yet for that covenant to be replaced. But he's pointing forward to that time, and he's going to show us that in chapter 3. And so I, I wanted to use this verse from Lamentations. It always seems to me a fitting place to find mercy, as Jeremiah looks out over the ruined city, and he takes stock of all that's happened, because of Israel's disobedience, at the heart of which was a failure to take God and his word seriously. And he writes this in 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because even in the most, even in the harshest of warnings, even in the scariest rebuke, God is giving people an opportunity 
to repent and take him seriously. The Lord is great. And he deserves all our praise and all our worship and all our honor from the very core. And so I hope, I hope that you today are hearing the word of the Lord in this passage. He's great and he deserves all of our honor, all of our respect, and all of our heartfelt obedience. I hope that's at your heart, in your heart today. And if it's not, but you're hearing me correctly, you have an opportunity to repent. Because he is merciful. And his mercies never end. Especially for his people. Who are in a covenant relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus Christ is your high priest, no matter your disobedience day to day, Jesus is a, is a high priest who never fails in his duty. That's one of the things we saw in Hebrews. He's never out of favor with God. His sacrifice that he made one time is always acceptable and pleasing to God. And it's always able to make you holy and right with God. So confess. And you'll find him faithful and merciful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for these harsh, harsh warnings Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that when we do have a contemptuous attitude that leads to disobedience, that because of Jesus Christ, because of the new covenant in his blood, you make yourself available to us always. That when we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, for our perfect high priest who always lives to intercede for us. God, help us to have a right attitude, a right heart toward you, and that we would show that by our obedience. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.